week where somebody announced they'll be taking the whole year off. Welcome to the show that doesn't even take January off. Welcome to Bite Live. Let's go! Yes, this is episode 44 of Bike Live on Motorsport 101, and consider this something of a catch-up show, as we've uh, devoted recent episodes to reviewing seasons and handing awards out, and indeed waxing lyrical for an entire two hours about the greatest motorcycle racer in the world. We realised that there's a lot of news that may have passed us by over the last few weeks or so that we're going to cover over the next hour and a half or so including the huge news in MotoGP this week that one of the regular riders that we were expecting to light up MotoGP in 2018 actually won't be appearing at all. Um, we've also got news from the World Superbike Paddock and indeed British Superbikes as the grid setup for 2018 becomes an awful lot clearer. Uh, all of that to come um, over the next 90 minutes or so. Um, and uh, of course I can't do this alone. Joining me once again... Um, for this next uh, hour and a half is a person who, in one of the great uh, sort of anomalies of, of Bike Live, after three and a half years of doing this show, a person who, for the first time on this show, I can actually say I've met in person. It's the newly tattooed <laughs> Andre Harrison. Ow! Um, <laughs> good evening, everybody. Um, yes, one, there is about three pounds of extra ink on my left arm. It's great. Um, it still stings a bit, bless it. But it's it's, 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 like, it's healing. Like, my mum made a terrible... Like, actually, no, I can't say my mum. It was actually me. Before. Well, let's put Coco. <laughs> that's, that's a really clever idea. Nope, don't do that, okay? Um, but, uh, yes, we did actually meet in person for the first time this past, this past Saturday. Um, yeah, again, as, as Lewis mentioned, those of that weren't around during our downforce era, we were, we've been doing this for three and a half years now, and um, we've never actually met in person. Like, no. like, like Bex has met the both of us in person multiple times over, but it's one of those things where it's never quite happened, <laughs> where me and Lewis has been in the same place at the same time, but it actually finally happened this Saturday, and yeah. Um, God, you're told than your, than your Facebook gives off. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been told that before. I think everyone assumes I'm a short ass uh, based on uh, based on my Facebook or based on the fact that I have a cat on my shoulder. Um, you're basically Peter Crouch. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, he's, and he's somehow still shorter than me. Yeah, I haven't had Chelsea rigging me up. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, what, what a great day it was. Uh, it has to be said. It I was. Mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've also um, been responsible for creating one of um, the memes that will dominate 2018 anytime Ferrari have a bad race um, of, uh, <laughs> of, of, Dre, of Dre looking longingly at their car um, at the NEC. Uh -huh. um, but no, in all seriousness, it was a fantastic day. It became, as Autosport shows have really become for me in, in recent years, much more of a social get-together than an actual let's look at cars or let's look at um, the live-action arena um, kind of show. The fact that I forego or forwent the, the live-action arena completely um, and didn't even go to it um, kind of um, emphasizes that. But, um, yeah, cracking day, wasn't it, Dre? To be able to catch up with not only each other who we haven't met before, but also people who I, I know from your point of view you've, spoken to and known for quite a long time but again haven't had the opportunity to meet the likes of ben mcbillips of downforce fame and josh sutil um who you know very well it was um it's one of the great things again about autosport the fact that it's of course it's a it's a live it's an autosport it's a motor motorsport show with some mm -hmm. of the best cars and best machines and best drivers um in, in world motorsport all congregating but in many ways it's the it's, it's the ordinary people that we've spent so much time with making making motorsport media ourselves over the past few years 
you have the chance to meet up with them is in many ways the beauty of the show for us people wanted to see me like yeah. i felt like a almost like partial celebrity around there it was friggin' ridiculous you guys feed my ego way too much as it is um, let alone let alone that happening and like, like i was walking past matt neal on occasion and you know georgia shields he won an award at the downfall show and yet people wanted to talk to me it's kind of fucking crazy that that was even a thing but um yeah that 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 was so cool and yeah like if the cars were great and all that but you know seeing everybody that wanted to see me and hanging around with a, with a bunch of really amazing people made my trip and it, it was fantastic so getting to see big Mac, getting to see josh who's been watching my content for i think about five or six years now um which is just ridiculous to even say the to say the least i've been doing this since 2011 on youtube it is as it is as a gaming guy anyway um but seeing him seeing tom stanley you know he's a big fan of us so hi tom i know you're listening um uh, katie fairman i bumped into as well alex goldschmidt who i know is a big fan of us um so hi alex um good job on that downfall stage by the way you're totally <laughs> blacked it like a champ um on on there scott woodwiss who i've not bumped into in years and you know me poking fun at scott every time i see him <laughs> the tradition is, is still a happily a thing I, I i will proudly say but i know scott will listen to this and i, and I know he'll laugh at this because that's that, that's what we do we just take the piss out of each other but um yeah he, congratulations to him winning the downforce uh, commentator of the year award by the way um shout out to him for that one i was there to see i was so proud of my little cherub growing yeah. up it was like oh it's like look at scott you've come such a long way from your need for speed most wanted videos what a guy um but, uh, but um it was a fantastic trip and um for those guys that didn't know a little bit of the backstory if you see my current twitter profile picture of me staring at last year's ferrari lewis was the one who took that photo yeah Part of me wanted to strangle him for it, but I now realised it was just too perfect a shot not to use. Um, it's infuriating, but it, and how how brilliant it is. But uh, to everyone that I had a, the pleasure of bumping into um, at Autosport, thanks. You guys made my trip so much more enjoyable, and it was an absolute pleasure to see all of you. Um, and yeah, I hope I'm, I hopefully I'll be back next year and we're able to do it again. And might even try and do more than two days, maybe stay over up there or something like that at some point because that was that was fantastic. So I'm very very grateful for that. So thanks to everyone that was down there. Yeah, I, I echo every word of that that Dre just said. Um, just to add to that as well, to um to a few of the other people that we met um at the back end of the show and indeed beyond the the actual show itself on the Saturday, Adam Weller, um as well, yes. as, well as um Vicky and Dom who are very good friends of mine. Um who again Do uh, Dre was meeting for the first time. Um, and Tiffany and Dean as well, um, and the evening that we had after that um, again just added to the whole <laughs> to the whole day and the whole sort of event of it all. As uh, as uh, Adam Weller uh, proclaimed uh, in the uh, Wetherspoons of the NEC that he wanted to have an extra, uh, basically a second meal, a second dinner for the evening. Um, <laughs> probably soon wished he hadn't. Um, as as we traipsed all the way to the uh, to the uh, resorts world outside the NEC um, in pursuit of some food, we ended up in a casino. Um, which uh, Adam Weller had to sign up for to be allowed in, given that he's too young. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, we ended up walking... Adam Weller ended up walking out of that place with a casino membership and no food in his stomach. Um, <laughs> um, so we so we ended up all the way back at Birmingham Airport in a Frankie and Benny's, finally getting some food at about 8, eight o'clock at night on the Saturday evening, um, which was hilarious. Um, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant evening, and, uh, yeah couldn't have um couldn't have wished for a better evening spending it with just some of the best people 
um, that that motorsport has brought us together with. And it's um, again, it's one of the beauties of motorsport and the beauties of doing shows like this that it connects us with people that perhaps otherwise we wouldn't have met. And uh, it's 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 had its negatives, Dre, um, in in recent weeks. The motorsport space, particularly on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. but events like that just show, I guess, what what good it can do. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like I do not try to underestimate um, how toxic this space can be, but also at the same time, how great it can be. And again, like us media dudes, we're all we're all kind of it because we're all passionate motor, motor racing boneheads at, at the best of times. And, you know, when you can find that on the same page, yeah, like it's great. It's fantastic, and it, 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 like that was a much needed reminder of some of the cool people that you know that are in this space. People that listen to us, and then yeah, just basically being sitting around a table eating twelve pound fish and chips yep. um, as you, as you do. But yeah, um, it essentially, became yeah. a, a round table talking about all things motorsport and indeed sports, um, yeah, which, yeah. which was fantastic. It was it was brilliant. We were sat there with some of the best motorsport machines in the world, and we were just sat there just chewing the fat. It was great. Yeah, fantastic, yeah. fantastic weekend. It's and uh, and uh, yeah, we look forward to doing it all again um, this time next year, or perhaps before, indeed, if we manage to get ourselves, manage to blag our way into Motorcycle Live later this year. Who knows? Um, so watch this space um, on that. Um, in an insight into sort of how this show is made as well, Dre and I were speaking together um, on Saturday, and uh, at that stage, we still didn't have a clue what on earth this show was going to be about. <clears throat> now, 24 <laughs> hours, 24 hours ago, um, news came to our attention that kind of dug us out of the hole. Um, yeah. Um, but before we uh, come on to that, we'll we'll tell you about all the places you can find us. Uh, now that we're no longer roaming the NEC, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One, uh, on Twitter at Motorsport underscore One Hundred One, um, on YouTube, YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One. A brand new Dre Reef has gone on there today as we record this, talking Yay. all about the Williams situation as they announce um, their second driver for the new season. So guys, Sorokin, all about that. Uh, on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 our patreon website where you can back us financially and earn yourself early access um to both of our weekly or at this point fortnightly shows it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 and all the information surrounding both of our shows can be found on our website which is motorsport 101.net right then let's uh, get on with uh, the news which is essentially is the show um, for this week mm-hmm. and um, the news that broke as we recorded this 24 hours ago we're recording this on Friday the 19th of January uh, 2018 and on the Thursday a, a shocking piece of news it has to be said because at the end of last season Jonas Folger um, had been forced to miss the final four races of the season um, due to illness um, he'd been diagnosed with Gilbert syndrome which is a, 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 a condition which affects 2-5% of, of the population and effectively it, it prevents um the i believe it's the liver from uh, processing toxins effectively um and Jonas volger has been struggling badly with that um over the last few months uh, he missed the final four races he missed the test that yamaha and tech 3 yamaha conducted at sepang at the end of november beginning of december um but i think we we're all looking forward uh, dre to seeing him back in action this year um as it turns out um the stunning news is that we won't be seeing him at all yeah, my gosh. He, um, the announcement was made yesterday. The press got wind of it but a couple of minutes before the press release came out, making it official. Um, yeah, Jonas Vogelman will not take part at all this season. Um, he is withdrawing from the season altogether to to basically focus and try and find a way to fully recover because he said himself on Twitter that uh, 
He's not a hundred. He's not a hundred percent. He doesn't feel like he's in the right place physically or mentally mm. to, to ride a motorcycle Strong right now. Words. And he feels, yeah. And um, that's a that is about as damning a statement as he can get, basically, in the sense of well, yeah, it's just he's in no place right now to to basically be riding a motorcycle. And yeah, he's taking the whole year out to see if he can find a way to fully recover and hopefully hopefully return to the sport a year later um because boy that that was a shocker it hit everybody in the biking world for six and uh, i i i must admit i took took a lot of pleasure in seeing the outpouring of support from from the biking community in general wishing Jonas a speedy recovery and i can only echo that sentiment um he's an incredibly talented rider i think he performed way above expectations last year in MotoGP. he was a fantastic rookie um it would have been only greater if it weren't for his teammate being so spectacular but um still an incredible rookie season in his own right and um yeah it's just it's just a, it's a real shame because he's one, he's one of the better guys in the field and yeah he's going to be out of the sport in a really really promising position like that and well, who knows if he comes back? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the concern, I suppose, that you'd have. And um, as you, as you said, and as many people have said, he would he would have been considered a phenomenal rookie, and he, he is anyway. But um, he's he's almost been talked down based on what's happened across the garage from him at Tech Three, uh, with what Joan Zarco did. Take Zarco out of the equation, and Jonas Vogel still had a tremendous rookie season um, in twenty seventeen. Um, and <clears throat> I mean, this is this cannot be a decision he would have taken lightly this must have been a very i mean it's a very bold and very brave decision to take um not just in terms of you know essentially giving up giving up what you do and writing off a whole year of your career and of your life to to try and get yourself physically and mentally right again um Mm -hmm. it's the kind of thing that just purely on a on the basis of having that illness and coming to terms with that illness very few sportsmen i think would have come to that decision they would have tried to i think play or compete through it um, and try and get through it the best they can. But to, to take that decision that, you know, I need to take myself out of this firing line completely um, is very, very bold and very brave on Folger's part. But equally, um, and we'll come on to what this means for his team in a bit, but from his career point of view and what this means for his career, his contract with Tech 3 is up as of the end of 2018, which essentially means that now he is done with that team. Um, he, is, he, he, he is done with Monster Yamaha Tech 3. Um, and we always, I mean, it's a well-known phrase in all of sports, possession is nine-tenths of the law in terms of having a mm-hmm. position within a team or having a position in your sport. And Jonas Folger has essentially given that up. He has essentially presented the opportunity to somebody to take his spot, and he might not get that back again. For someone to make that decision, these would have been thoughts that would have all been going through Jonas Folger's mind, raised. He made this decision in terms of what it meant for him and his career. This cannot be a decision he will have taken lightly. No, this was a serious. This, this is a serious thing in the sense of if you're going, if you're committing to this, you're basically saying I'm taking myself out of MotoGP for maybe the foreseeable future. Mm. Because as you say, he's now a free agent by 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 the strict letter of the law. He's not riding for that team again unless Hervé Pontrol decides to bring him back, and that. In its in and itself is risky because you have no idea how August is going to be even in a year's time. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it just 
it just stands to reinforce what a brave decision it is that Volga's even doing this in the first place because he might not come back and his career in MotoGP is now going to hinge on whether some other team takes a chance on him um, after a year out of the sport and that's going to be risky in its own right because who knows what the Moto2 situation or other free agency situations look like at the end of next year we'll be talking about that later in the in it comes to the, the possibility of a silly season and yeah, I mean, Volga, if you want to take your empathy hat off for a second and put your business hat on, you might not have chosen a worse time to do this, given that everything's going to be so up in the air next year. And there's probably going to be quite a few guys above him in the pecking order. But from a from a few, from a few human standpoint, I mean, it's an incredibly brave decision because goodness only knows, um, you know, the, the possible risk involved in this, if he was to keep going and something terrible happens to him or maybe somebody else on track that could be affected by it. We've had a couple of near misses in MotoGP the last few years when it comes to things like concussions and things like that. So um, if Jonas is not in the right place, I think he's absolutely done the right decision here to not take any further part in this season and basically just find a potential path of recovery because if he stuck around and he didn't then who knows yeah and it also <clears throat> when you think back to sort of around aragon time last year where this finally or this this initially came to light just how um bad he was in that he had to miss races when we think of that now it just again reinforces just how bad a state he must have been in at that time when he was still at that point trying to ride um, and, yeah. and he finally made that decision. You know, we still wondered at that stage, would he be back for Valencia? Would he be back for testing? Um, and it just reinforces again just how, how seriously unwell he's been. And above all else, we wish uh, Jonas Volga all the very best. And uh, you know, at times like this, you almost it's almost churlish to even talk about the sport he competes in. This is just a, a human being who needs to get better. Mm. Um, and we yeah. and we wish Jonas Volga all the best as he seeks um, to do that. Um we're going to talk about his team though now, and before I do that, I'll I'll read out the quotes from his, I guess now former team manager, um, Hervé Poncheral, who um, who said, um, on Tuesday I received a call from Bob Moore, Jonas Volga's personal manager. I couldn't believe what Bob was telling me on the phone that Jonas Volga has decided not to race the 2018 most GP season because he doesn't feel 100% mentally or physically recovered. It is still very difficult for me to believe that he's not going to race with us in 2018, especially because he's been somebody I had a lot of faith in and I was sure we would reach the top level together this year. I completely respect his decision, although it's hard to swallow. Yet I will try to find a solution for a replacement rider, which is a very difficult mission, as all of the past riders are already contracted. But as always in racing, we need to be proactive, inventive, and hopefully we can make someone very happy. We will all we will keep all of you informed about the evolution of the situation. And we'll talk about where Tech 3 go from here in a moment. Um, now, in terms of the team, Dre, in terms of Hervé Poncheral, um, those comments from me, I mean, he's... I think he's spoken quite well there in terms of, you know, he respects the decision and he wishes Jonas all the very best. But those comments to me read like a man who feels pretty, A, pissed off and B, let down. Um, and right. in, in many respects, you could understand why he's annoyed because it's dropped him in quite a deep hole. Um, but does he and do Tech 3 have any right to feel let down here? Short answer, no. Long answer, I don't know what's gone on internally. I feel like, like Hervé is assurances. I wonder, and then he's had to. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like, like Hervé Poncherar knows something that we don't. Um, 
again, who knows what in sort of internal conversations. In many ways, you could understand it if Jonas Folger, yeah. speaking in November, just happened to, in a throwaway comment, say to the team, well, I'll be okay for testing. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know. It's 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 hard to say because we don't know what's what's been said in private there. But you, I, I did get that same impression you did when you read those statements that that didn't sound like a clean... Well, we didn't. We had no idea this was going to happen. It seems like Jonas might have told them one thing, and something else has happened in between. I don't want to speculate too hard about this because, again, we don't know the full story. And I don't. I think Hervé might do, and I think he's been very kind in speaking about it at length. But it sounds like there's something that's happened in between um, the end of the season when we knew Voga wasn't taking part, and now where testing is coming up next week and yeah, as we speak his... it is nine days away yeah as we as, at the time of recording on um, friday the 19th of january um the test is nine days away and then volga's sort seemingly dropped this bombshell that oh yeah i'm not going to take part in the entire season now yeah. and everyone's Poch, like, well, Poch, well, Poch, said himself he only received the call on tuesday yeah so we only knew what basically two days before well, we only need two days after hervey knew himself so these so hervey's that's a He's probably had a very busy phone since since Tuesday because, I mean, I think Simon Patterson put it out there today that uh, he just got off the phone with Hervé and he said, well, we can sign a guy for the test and then we're going to go from there, basically. Um, But it's like... I guess from a purely business standpoint, Tech Free's got every right to be a little bit miffed. But, again, we don't know what... What, what the conversations Jonas has had with this team, with Hervé Poncheral, with friends, family, who knows? Um, I mean, the only person that knows the full story is going to be Jonas himself, and that's going to be up to him as to whether he talks about it or not between now and next season. But it, something doesn't quite seem right about this um, from, the, from the standpoint or from the press release that Hervé puts, or the statements that Hervé's made himself. It seems... It seems like it's not quite right. Yeah, I mean, press releases from a team are, are always very, very carefully micromanaged in terms of, you know, the, the words that are used, the you know, what those words mean. You know, these are words that come direct from the team. So, of course, it's the team message that's going out there. And <clears throat> for Herbert Podgeral to use language such as, this is, it is still very difficult for me to believe, especially because he has been somebody I had a lot of faith in. Um, that 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 sounds like a uh, almost like a disappointed yeah. parent, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it sounds like someone's let him down. Yeah, it's, he sounds very very let down there, Javier Poncheral. And uh, you know, from that point of view, I could totally understand why he would feel pretty pretty hacked off at the moment because it's put him in a very very difficult position um, in terms of what he does for 2018. Now there are many many different routes he could go down. Um, None of them particularly sound really that appealing. One person I saw on Twitter immediately suggested, well, how about they just pull all of their resources behind Joanne Zarco and run a one-man team, which, from a sporting point of view, sounds logical. Um, it sounds like the kind of thing that you might do, but then you have to factor in Monster Energy and all the other sponsors that come with Tech 3 who would immediately say, hang on, we're paying you a lot of money for certain exposure and you're essentially cutting that in half. Um, by only having our logos on one bike as opposed to two. Um, so that's off the table. There will be two Tech 3 Yamahas on the grid this year. Um, right, Joan Zarka riding one of them. Um, but it, it's stating the bleeding obvious, Dre, but the, the biggest problem facing Javier Poncho on Tech 3 at the moment is any, any rider worth his salt is signed up already. 
Exactly. Like, like this is like this is why people sign these deals so early. They, um, you know, it's as simple as that. They are pretty much everyone worth a damn right now is is signed up. Um, it's like every like everyone in MotoGP's got their seats, and it's all going to be a matter of now which agents have got break off clauses in their contracts that they can possibly negotiate here. Because heck. The one thing Hervé Poncharol's got going for him here, and which which might work out in his favour, is the fact that it's a good seat. Mm. It's a very good seat. It's a seat that was capable of winning races last year. Um, Zarco got very close to that on two separate occasions. The only thing I'd counter that with, though, is that it's not a factory seat, um, first of all. It's a satellite seat. And also... If you walk into that team, having taken the ride at two months' notice and get absolutely blown out of the water by Joan Zarco, where does that leave your career? That's a good point. You're sort of a fish out of water at that point. Um, yeah, that's probably not ideal as it goes. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right on that standpoint as well. You could be left in no man's and if it doesn't work out for you and you've got a very formidable teammate um alongside you as well which just isn't ideal so god where do you go from there and, and, and um, what i wonder as well and what i i fear with a team like tech three of course given that they're not a factory team they probably have a very strict budget um, that they're working towards so they probably i'm guessing a bit here they probably don't have the money to buy someone out of a contract um whether it's a because you know if you want to if you want to take a rider that's capable of competing at the top of MotoGP. He ain't gonna come cheap, um, and chances are he's gonna be either no. he's gonna be already riding for another MotoGP team, and they're not gonna do that. They're not gonna poach someone from another MotoGP team or a World Superbike team, and even then, that doesn't come cheap. Um, I mean, riders that I saw named on social media when this came up with the likes of Loris Baz, um, who I think if this had happened a month ago, I'd have given him that seat instantly. Um, but sure. Of course, he's as of a couple of weeks ago, he signed for Altea BMW and World Superbikes, and. Even if he'd suddenly decided he wanted that MotoGP seat, if it was offered for him, I doubt Altea, as a one-rider outfit, are going to let him go. Um, so, right. so Loris Baz is probably locked in. So where on earth do Tech 3 even go, Drake? Yoni Hernandez is the rider that's going to take part. Lord. He's going to take part in the test for them. He's going to ride the M1 Yamaha in the Sapang test. And at the moment, that's as far as it goes. Um, and Hervé Poncheral has said that in an ideal world, he wants someone from Moto2. He wants a young rider from Moto2. Um, and I think one rider who will be feeling pretty annoyed at himself right now is Javi Virke, who decided the grass was greener at our Dynavolt, left the Tech 3 team for the Dynavolt Suter squad. And if this news had broken and, caught, and, and Virke had not made that move, I think he'd be pretty much penciled in right now. Yeah, Oh, he reckons Xavi would be would be would be announced tomorrow if if he was available. But now he's gone to Dynavolt, which I can't blame him for because Dynavolt's a good Moto Two outfit who've won mm. races. Um, hindsight being like, twenty twenty and all that. It's like, yeah, hindsight. Yeah, you I mean, know, double edged. I'm trying to think. I mean, like I say, where do you even start in terms of suggesting a replacement? I mean, we are literally throwing names out here now. But Dre, I mean, I think I don't think any name is com- completely, you know, from left field at the moment. I mean. Remy Gardner from their Tomoto 2 team? Good lord, really? <laughs> this is what I'm yeah, saying. Like, like, no no look, name at the moment is, is, is crazily from left field because that's the spot yeah. Tech 3 are in right now. 
And yeah, David Emmett talked about it yesterday on Twitter where he said, well, Pontaral has said, I will talk to riders that have already got contracts, but I don't want to throw them under the bus by taking... Hervé's too nice a guy. He said straight up, I'm not going to take somebody's contract from another team unless that team can replace that rider they're going to poach off them. He doesn't want to put another team in the same pickle that he's in, basically, which is very nice of him. The problem yeah. with that, though, is, is that it's going to make the odds of him getting the replacement that much harder. Um, Sandro Cortese, as mentioned, has got a lot of Moto2 experience in there, and he's come out of the Dynavolt team. And he technically is now a free agent because, as we know, the Kiefer deal broke down. So More on that and, later on. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it's interesting because someone on social media said to David Emmett, I hear number 11 is free. And I instantly thought, yeah, no, Sandro Cortese is free. Um, but I believe that person was talking about Ben Spees, um, which would be a very bold move um, to, to try oh, and bring Lord. him out of retirement. I'm not sure his shoulder could manage that, as, as David Emmett replied. But, um, yeah, I mean... Trying to think of riders that are currently free who don't have a, a ride for next year. Stefan Bradl is one, um, who, of course, got jettisoned by Red Bull Honda, but apparently he still has links to Honda in terms of perhaps doing some testing for them. But I'm sure if a race seat in MotoGP comes available, I think any team would release their test rider for that. Um, so right. I'm not sure that would be an, an avenue blocking him, but I'll give you the name I gave you on Twitter yesterday, Dre. A rider who rode for this team 11 years ago in MotoGP. Sylvain Gattoli, anyone? Homecoming. Homecoming. <laughs> Gintas is coming the all home. French Tectoir lineup. We're, we're going back. Hey, <laughs> the Gintas Homecoming Tour is going to stop a MotoGP, brother. Did you see, arguably, <laughs> he as qualified as anybody on the market. He is. He's done everything in recent times. He's he did MotoGP, World Superbikes, and BSP all in the same calendar year last year. So he knows how to ride a motorcycle, and the guy's a quality rider, and he's a, a professional who will do anything you ask him to at this point on a motorcycle. So if you want a solid guy who has done, he's got semi-recent MotoGP experience, doing a few rounds of Suzuki last year. I don't think you can really go wrong with Ginters on this one. I mean, has anybody got any better suggestions? Like, write in, please, because well, I've, you go on? I've, I've, I've got nothing <laughs> on this one besides that. Like, no, I haven't. I mean, I, if, if the choices are Sandro Cortese or Sylvain Gintoli, I don't want to know what the question is, quite frankly. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty simple decision for that. I mean, Tech 3, incidentally, hope to have a permanent replacement for Folga in place for the Thailand test. Because um, Thailand onto the MotoGP um, calendar for this year, the Buriram test is it begins on the 16th of February, um, so it's essentially just under four weeks away um, that that test takes place. And that test is just a month ahead of the brand new MotoGP season starting on the 18th of March in Qatar. Um, so mm -hmm. whatever happens, Dre, and again, this is why I mean, again, any rider is going to I think jump at the chance to take this seat because of it's a MotoGP seat and it's Tetri Yamaha. And you, you back yourself, don't you, to, to deliver under that scenario, even if, even if the odds are against you. But this rider, even if they are signed for Thailand, the Thailand test, they're going to have one month and at the very most six days of testing to prepare themselves for the new season. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> 
obviously, good luck because I've got nothing for you on that one. That is a challenge for, for any rider. I mean, most riders get a full off season. You're not even going to get that here. You've already missed the Valencia test as it is on your new motorcycle. I assume if you come up that way. Um, so you've already missed out on one test as it is. So you, you're going to have an even bigger hole to climb out of compared to the rest of the MotoGP field that's out there already. So it's a bummer, but that's, I mean... It's, it's a trade-off for the opportunity. The question is, who's going to take it? Who wants it that badly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to sort of... I'm casting my mind down the World Superbike um, lineup from last year to try and see if there are any riders out there who would be MotoGP capable. And I've got to be honest, Ray, I'm not seeing many um, who would perhaps... Who, again, who are not already signed up for riders. I mean, two riders, again, who've been mooted are the two Patty Yamaha riders who both subbed in at Tech 3. Um, in recent years, Alex Lowe's and Michael Vandermark. But for one, would you see either of those riders giving up the, the Patty Yamaha riding World Superbikes for that Tech 3 ride? Potentially. But equally, would you see Patty Yamaha releasing either of those riders? Absolutely not at this late stage. No. Um, so, so surely Tech 3's only avenue here is to try and pick up a rider who's not currently signed up for a receipt in 2018 and as i say at this stage if you're looking at riders who aren't signed up for a race seat you're dealing in a certain standard of rider i.e riders who've already been deemed not good enough by other teams um so good luck herve poncheran good luck take three as they try and find a replacement um for jonas Volga with uh, the new season uh two months away and the first official test um less than a, less than two weeks away and i mean heavens above imagine if, if yoni hernandez even does semi well on that M1 in the test uh, in Sepang in a week and a half's time, he might perhaps be the likeliest contender for that seat, given that he's ridden that bike and knows the bike and has done reasonably well mm-hmm. on it. We'll wait and see on that one. More news on that on our next episode of Bike Live in two weeks' time. As I say, that test will have happened. Um, the Sepang test, the first official test of 2018 in MotoGP, by the time we speak to you next. Um, one team has launched their new bike this week um, ahead of that test, and uh, that team is Ducati. Um, they launched their new GP18 in Bologna on Monday um, with a live stream of their launch from their base and um, a very good-looking motorcycle it is, especially if you like aerodynamic appendages on the front of bikes um, and hammerhead fairings, which um, have returned for this year. Um, and a slightly more grey on this Ducati than the previous years. Yep, if you're after a technical analysis of this bike, you've come to the wrong podcast. Um, <laughs> but, um, but in terms of this team, Dre, um, and their season coming up. This is a big, big season for the Ducati MotoGP team. Um, because, I mean, l- let's face it, they they challenged for the MotoGP world title in 2017, but they did so with the pressure largely off them. That won't be the case this right. year. No, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, again, just, just on the record, very nice looking bike. I don't agree with the Ed, Ed, Eddie style hammerhead fairing. It looks like you've two jawbreakers um, at the front of the motorcycle. But besides that, it's a very pretty thing. And even, even if the grey makes it look like one of those Audi Le Mans cars they used to have um, out there, very similar. I'm not sure if that was a coincidence or not, but uh, I digress. You're absolutely right. Yeah, like maybe it's a sign, um, but yeah, I, I I can't disagree with you on that one. It, this this is a massive year for Ducati. This is the I think the make or break year for them because we've mentioned before, Dovi is going to be a free agent at the end of the season. He's going to want a pay rise, mm. um, and rightly so because well, he's he's coming off the best year of his career by a country mile in the year. He very nearly won the title. 
Um, and Lorenzo, well, no matter which way you slice it, Ducati at some point are going to want to return on their investments. Well, he admits himself yeah. that his stock has dropped. Yeah. Um, he, he's been very open about this on Twitter in recent times, which I thought was, which I thought was quite funny. Um, uh, but, yeah. yeah um, he's also he's, out of contract this, at the end of this year. Yeah, did you was signed on a two-year deal? That two-year deal comes in, finishes at the end of, at the end of next season. So yeah, this is it. This is a big one, and whew, I, I mean, again, like everyone's up for grabs. Everyone's going to be out in the open, and you're going to want basically to be in as strong a position as possible. And Lorenzo. Well, on the face of it, I mean, people seem to have a lot of confidence on him. The bookies certainly do. Mm. He's second favorite to win the title, but I, I can't read in. I can't go there with him on on that one. Um, that's going to be. I thought that was lofty to say the least. And as you say, it's a it's a make or break year, especially given that Lorenzo is is making more than three times the money Dovi is in that same team at the moment, and again Dovi is going to be gunning hard to get him maybe get his last maybe real big payday as a 31 year old knowing that his window at the top might be closing as a lot of riders do at that age so I don't know on this one man I don't know it's going to be interesting to say the least I mean we'll we'll, we'll Um, talk about the the general silly season and how it's going to dominate 2018 um, shortly, and we'll also talk about the two riders at Ducati individually. But first of all, on the team, Dre, before we even talk about which rider is likeliest to do it, um, would it be fair to say for 2018, given how last year went, that anything other than the World Championship would be considered a failure for Ducati this year? Do, do, do you think I am, Chas Davies? <laughs> you asked him the exact same question in Worlds about this time last year. <laughs> um, I joke. But... Um, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, if you're Ducati, knowing you won six races last year and you're coming off that, how can you be, how can you not be thinking title? You've got to be thinking title. Anything less is basically a step backwards because Dovi came about as close as you could get realistically. And the only man you had you failed to beat last year was Mark Marquez, who is the freak of this generation. So... Yeah, like you've got to be thinking title. You've got to be thinking we have the best lineup rider-wise in MotoGP, and you've got a bike that proved to be very versatile last year. So you've got to be thinking championship. Anything less, I think, is going to be a disappointment for Luigi Delinier and Co. Because they've they've this last year was the breakthrough season that they showed that they, yeah they weren't just winning on wet tracks anymore. They are good just about everywhere now. So. There's no excuse. They've got to be thinking big here now. Mm, yeah, and in terms of their two riders, then, we'll start with, with Jorge Lorenzo, who I think the phrase no excuses applies to him as well, because even at the end of 2017, you could probably offer him, if you were being particularly charitable, you could offer him the excuse of, well, it's his first year on the bike. He's learning that new Ducati. It's a whole new way of riding for him. But he's now had a full year on it, and he'll now be having his second pre-season on it um, to get himself ready for 2018. Um if Jorge Lorenzo, if we don't see the the old Jorge Lorenzo back for 2018, i.e. the Jorge Lorenzo that can win any given race if the bike's good enough, um, surely Jorge Lorenzo is looking at best-case scenario, staying at Ducati with a pay cut, and worst-case scenario, being replaced altogether. Yes, definitely. Because, I mean, if you're Ducati, why wouldn't you be thinking, we can get Johan Zarco, or we can get him, you know, who knows, maybe... 
maybe a Maverick. Maybe I wouldn't go Maverick. I don't think I'll leave Yamaha anytime soon. But like they go, you think at the very, at the very like, least you'll be saying to that rider, "How can you command this salary for another two years when you're performing like this?" Yeah, I mean, like I said, that was a two-year, twenty-four million pound contract for Jorge Lorenzo. That was one of the biggest contracts we've seen in MotoGP in recent times. And yeah, you've got to justify that expense because Ducati spends a lot of money. And well, I mentioned this joke a couple of years ago, and I'm going to bring it back for old times' sake. The Ducati go through top-tier riders like much as on a bedpost. Yeah. They've had a who's who of elite riders on their machinery in recent years: Casey Stoner, Nicky Hayden, Andrea Vizioso, obviously Lorenzo. Now you can go back a little bit further and go Loris. You can go. You know, Valentino Rossi, obviously, as well. So they've had a plethora of great riders who've been unable to to untap the full potential of this bike. And it's, it's going to be another embarrassing look for them if they go through arguably their strongest ever lineup as a team with Lorenzo and Dovi and come, and come away with nothing but a few wins to show for it. They're going to be thinking, why didn't we win the title? Surely. Yeah, they will do. And uh, Jorge Lorenzo as well. In many ways, the way he's viewed by those who perhaps doubt him, and let's face it, there are still a lot of them, um, who perhaps look at Jorge Lorenzo negatively, and he's not helped himself, of course, with the way he's acted, particularly in the final race of last year in Valencia. Um, although, have to be said, on a side note, one of the best tweets I've seen in recent times from Jorge Lorenzo. Um, just today, I believe it was, when someone tweeted to him about, does this new Panigale V4 have uh, exhaust mapping 8 on it? Um, and he said, no, it has five, one for each of my world titles, <laughs> which, which I thought was a fantastic response um, from Jorge oh, Lorenzo. Yeah. Fair play to him for that. If hey, it's about, to be fair, it's, it's about time Lorenzo acknowledged that message. It is, yeah, just uh, just th- <laughs> just three months late, but hey. Um, but, uh, Fair late than never, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. In terms of his teammate, though, the man who um, wished he'd uh, adhered to that message a little sooner, Andrea Davizioso, yeah, he has come out and said, the target now we, ha- we now have is fighting for the world championship. Um, but we also have to stay connected to reality, and we can't dream. Um, typical Dovi, I suppose, in many respects, you know, keeping his feet on the ground and not going too far overboard um, on this one. But without question, this is a rider who has grown in stature, who believes in himself more than perhaps ever before. Um, and in, in many ways, as well as challenging for the World Championship, he hopes, in 2018, as you say... Andre Vizioso is perhaps racing for that one big last payday, probably the last big contract he's going to get as a MotoGP rider. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's going to be 32 by the time next season rolls uh, around again. It'll be a free contract with Ducati. Exactly. I mean, if anything, over the years, it's been proven that you know, he's incredibly versatile. Um, Dovi, you can write just about anything effectively. Um... So, so you know he, he'll he'll be the guy that teams will be thinking you know what we can build a team around this dude and he's even better now than he was two years ago um he was already two years ago the guy that you could you'd say okay he's a development guy he's a guy that if you need a, a setup for a bike if you need a good baseline get yeah safe pair of hands get dovi now they're thinking he's a safe pair of hands it also happens to be an alien great <laughs> so they're going to be thinking big on this one. They're going to be thinking, "Wow, um, you know, go, 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 get it, basically." And Dovi, he'll be probably like number, you know, number one or two on that list of riders that people could get as a free agent, given the fact that, yeah, he is versatile and he can ride anything, and he is superb in that department. Um, so, yeah, like if, if if he has another big season, 
look out. No, I, I, I don't think Marquez or, or you know Maverick or, or Valley will move seats. I think Dovi could be the number one you know possible free agent on the board by the time next season rolls around if this keeps up. So I'd certainly keep an eye on that. There is the potential for a serious political problem for Ducati midway through 2017. If, if Andrea Vizioso is leading the world championship or even close to leading it. And whether, wherever Jorge Lorenzo is, Ducati have already made it clear over this winter that they are not prepared to write the kind of check again that they wrote for Jorge Lorenzo. They're not prepared to spend that level of money on a rider again. Um, that was that was right. very much a one-off to get Jorge Lorenzo into their team. Um, yet if Andre Vizioso is leading the championship around the halfway point, Dre, he's going to command that kind of salary. Um, and, and that faces Ducati with an, an obvious problem. Either pay Dovi what he's worth or risk losing him. Exactly. And like they've, like, because there will, I think surely, about... there will surely be another team in that paddock who will pay that money. They will. Um, like Lorenzo is still a big name. Dovi is still a big name. Either one of them, you, could, you I think most teams would be very, very happy to have in their arsenal. He's like they're both world class riders. Lorenzo is one of the greatest ever. Dovi has again realised his full potential last year, and he's probably as an exciting a talent to have on a on a team right now than than anyone. So. Yeah, like why wouldn't you embrace that the way the way it's going right now? So yeah, I mean, geez, like Ducati might be facing a bit of an internal pickle because their riders are going to be out there gunning for themselves to a degree because they're both going to want big paydays on coming out of this, especially if you're Dovi, who is, you know, especially given his ability now, be thinking I've been underpaid all this time. Um, like this is back pay. Yeah. So and yeah, he'll, he'll be thinking big. And, and as well as the political problem that Ducati may face this year, they may also face a rather tricky sporting problem. Um, throughout 20, 2018 if they are fighting for the world championship and especially if Jorge Lorenzo returns to being the Jorge that we've known um, for several years being at the front of races again which he threatened to do towards the end of 2017 mm-hmm. even if he was still in Dobby's shadow a little bit because Ducati I think Dre faced the problem that Yamaha suffered last year and to a much greater extent in 2016 um, in that they may end up having two number ones within their team um, chanting for the world championship which there are many many cases to prove that that's not necessarily the best way to win a world championship and I, I struggle to see how Ducati will handle this because Jorge Lorenzo has shown in several occasions most notably the last two Grand Prix we've seen in MotoGP that even when his other teammate is on the verge of challenging for the world championship he's not prepared to help him out and given that Jorge Lorenzo has done that to Andrea Di Bizioso, you can't see Andrea taking a backward step in 2018 either, can you? So if both of those riders are on a similar level and are both in the World Championship battle, I struggle to see how Ducati handle that. I'm inclined to agree. Um, we, we saw it last year. We saw with Yamaha that Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi both took way too many points off each other and they were the only team realistically that had two dogs in the fight and that was a problem um it, it, if anything it, it it just showed that um really ideally the way to go in MotoGP is to have one title contender and have one cleanup guy and that's what Honda's had for the last few years with Marquez and Pedrosa and it's worked out very nicely for them because they've never had to deal with that sort of problem in recent years um, probably not since the days if they had the free bike team when it was ironically Dovi alongside Stoner and Pedrosa and they were beating each other um, so yeah like it's 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 not 
an ideal situation to say the least so not only have you got two rampant number ones both looking for big paydays at the end of the next season you're looking at two guys that are going to be competing or going to be thinking if this bike is competitive they're thinking championship and well if that's a thing then they're going to be they're going to be at it and Ducati well they're, 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 they're going to be impossible to control we already saw that Lorenzo will not buy into team orders that is now a proven fact given what happened at the end of last year so how you know where we go from there? Well, goodness only knows. Yeah, I, I struggle to see if if we have this same situation in 2018. I mean, Andrea Vizioso is a better man than me, but if if he's even moderately close to the championship, I cannot see Dobby helping Lorenzo out at all. I mean, I think he just he just sees himself differently now. He sees himself on Lorenzo's level, if not above Lorenzo's level. Um, so mm. I don't think he would necessarily see him as a rider that he wants to help out. It is going to be a fascinating subplot um, to this MotoGP season. Uh, a season that really is going to be dominated by Silly Season Talk because all of the key riders on the 2018 grid are out of contract at the end of this year, um, which potentially could lead to a major shakeup amongst the top seats in MotoGP uh, for 2019, um, with many of those factories having a lot of money to spend and perhaps being able to sign any rider that they feel like um, financially. Um, <laughs> It's going to dominate the season, isn't it, Dre? Particularly the first half of the season. Um, and in many ways, is the key to all of this, the key to the future of so many riders on the 2018 grid, as far as 2019 is concerned, is the key what Valentino Rossi decides to do? I think it might certainly be the biggest domino. I mean, we've, we've been teasing this in Formula One for a few years now, where it's like, hey... We might we might get the big we might get the big shake up in the grid and it's never really quite happened. We had a Nico Rosberg retirement and that never really shook things up too hard. Um, and you know the long awaited is Kimi Raikkonen going to retire this year? Oh, he hasn't yet. Shit. <laughs> uh, and that's not quite happened yet either. We've not really had that in biking yet, and, and mostly because Valentino Rossi's been such a consistent figure in the Yamaha team for the last gosh five six years now since he's come back. Um, but I think you're right. I think he's the biggest domino that could potentially fall to make this interesting. Um, Yamaha seems to be one of the most desirable teams to ride for. I mean, they made the big deal in poaching Maverick Vinales for Jorge Lorenzo as a like-for-like -like swap. Um, and if Rossi goes, you've got one of the best all-round bikes in the field, potentially, for a, a rider. And... It might be a little bit more clear cut as a replacement this year, given that we didn't, we had no idea Johan Zarco was going to be this good, yeah. um, go going into 2017, and now he's now probably thrust himself as the top contender for that seat if Rossi decides not to resign. But the the from going from what the media is saying, it seems to be the gist that Rossi will probably stick around a little bit longer into um, his forties. So, into his 40s he's, he's gonna be what, he's gonna be what 39 at the end of next year yeah he'll be 39 um, next month for his sake <laughs> so so he, he would be 40 years old when the 2019 motor gp season starts um with valentino mm -hmm. rossi and he is he is the key domino as you say and especially because he always tends to make his decision regarding his future very early in the year um i mean mm -hmm. he he made Oh, he says he's going to make a decision by Mugello. Essentially, I think, because if he's going to retire, he wants his Mugello pilgrims to know it um, so that they can bid him farewell for his final home Grand Prix. Um, but 
get get the chainsaws out. I mean, part of me, well, yeah, exactly. Part of me wonders whether that is a little early in the year for Valentino to make that decision because I can't see really what would have changed in the last two months for him to suddenly be half second a lap slower. Um, I, 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 I struggle how he's suddenly going to rock up in Qatar next uh, in two months' time and suddenly be midway down the pack. He's going to be Valentino Rossi, the same Valentino we've known. So surely by the time he arrives at Mugello, he's still going to be competitive enough to consider another two years worth it. And we already saw as recently as Aragondre, the fact that he returned three weeks after breaking his leg, that the hunger and the will is very much still there. So much hunger, he got nominated for the longest World Comeback of the Year. I was like, hey! Why did Jack Miller not get the same nomination, I wonder? <laughs> Jack, Jack Miller is He came back in two weeks. Yeah, he, he came back in two for Philip Island and led laps at <laughs> Philip Island and he was completely overlooked. Sorry, Jack, it's, just, it's, just, it's not a fair fight, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> he will lose it to Roger Federer, don't worry. Don't, don't be mad, there's no way Rossi wins that. Um, but point is is that yeah you're absolutely right i mean the the will to win is still there and if anything valentino rossi two years ago was the probably the first guy to announce that he was sticking around because he signed his, his contract extension in qatar mm. so like he and bradley smith made the confession that same year that yeah i'm not going i'm, I'm going to ktm i'm not going to be at tech free next year no matter what happens basically so I, I think that is still, as you say, the biggest potential domino that could cause a silly season and a big swapperoo of seats and talents and whatnot. But I don't think next year will be the year. Mm. That's yeah, it is going to be interesting to watch because, as I mentioned, all the key riders in MotoGP, including Mark Marquez, Danny Pedrosa, both at Ducati, both at Yamaha, um, are, are up for grabs. They're, they are going to be free agents, essentially, at the end of 2018. Um but, that, but we also shouldn't forget the riders that potentially may become available from Moto2. Um, and with that in mind, Dre, are perhaps the two riders whose, certainly the two factory riders whose seats are under the most threat in 2018, those seats currently held by Aspargo and Smith at KTM? And they're going to be, they're probably going to have their own internal dogfight over those between Miguel Oliveira and Brad Binder, who. I mean, if, the, if last season was anything to go by, they're going to be looking very eager to take those seats because they were fantastic towards the end of last season. And KTM are the fastest growing team in the paddock. I mean, I heard of hints from David Emmett earlier this week that they're spending 25 million euros this wow. year on development, which apparently is about as big as Yamaha's factory budget. So KTM are, are clearly showing that they are the team that are going to throw a heaping amount of money at this to try and make it work. Um, and they're going to want a pair of big boy riders who can match the amount of money that's going to be on the bike. A certain ant, maybe. Mm. I don't know, just a hunch. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to him uh, very, very shortly because there's been news breaking um, at HRC since we've last spoke of... Well, the news, mm. news broke immediately following the final round of the season last year that Livio Supo was stepping down as the um, head of HRC, the head of essentially of Repsol Honda's um, racing operations. Um, and his replacement has since been announced. Now, before we talk about his replacement, um, we sometimes overlook the role of the team boss in, in MotoGP. Perhaps they don't get necessarily the press that the team bosses in Formula One get. Um, you know, the likes of Eric Boulier and, and Toto Wolf and, and such like, um, and Maurizio Rivabene, but they still play a key role. And I, mean, I guess time will only tell, but how potentially big a miss could Livio Supo be at HRC? Because he played a key role in that team's success. 
He absolutely did. Um, he he was a very very key piece in the figure. He was amazing uh, as a as a judge of talent more than anything else. I mean, you look at the last six years of his run there. You could say that he had Andrea Davizioso, Casey Stone, Danny Pedrosa. And Mark Marquez all run through that team, and he had to knock Jonathan Ray off at the pass. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's an incredible run of talent. Let's not forget his influence, um, you know, on the lower classes as well. Having again, you know, having t- close bonds with people like the Red Bull KTM team in Moto Three, and some of the young talent that's come through there, like Jack Miller. Let's as not well. forget he played a key role in the great successes of Ducati and Casey Stoner back in the last decade too. Exactly, he's a fantastic team boss, and he one of the again one of the best eyes for talent this sport's ever seen. Um, and he's left Honda in a glistening position right now, where they've recovered most of the issues they've had the last two years of their bike development. They have arguably the most exciting talent this sport's ever seen, and and a, and a, a consummate professional in Danny Pedrosa who. No one is better at his specific role as a number two, as a cleanup guy, as a guy who can still win three or four rounds a year if if the bike is is feeling his way and he, he gets the right feeling in it and he gets the right setup. He can still win any given race on paper, Pedrosa. So, like, he's left them in a fantastic position and I think he'll be missed because I don't think there's anyone in MotoGP quite like him and you, you can see the the and the the reverse effect if you look at yamaha right now how much pressure is lynn jarvis going to be on the next season knowing he's had two years yeah. of total busts given that he's had jorge lorenzo valentino rossi you've lost lorenzo and maverick is not the guy as advertised as he brought in last year so like Lynn Jarvis is going to be under a hot seat this year, so we're going to see what it's like without a top tier team boss in there. And you can already see what could happen if it goes wrong. Mm, yeah, it could. And his replacement has been named. It's Alberto Pooch, who has been last seen as the team boss of the British talent team, and we all know that went well um, in 2017. Mm-hmm. But of course, he's got an awful lot more on his CV uh, than that. Um, but perhaps the most interesting angle to this um, and to the, the, to the news that Pooch has been brought in um, at Repsol Honda in place of Super Podre is the fact that there appears, well, not there doesn't appear, there is a great deal of tension between Alberto Pooch and Emilio Alzamora, who is the manager of Marc Marquez and manages the Marquez, the whole Marc Marquez, uh, the whole Marquez, Alex and Marquez setup. Because um, mm-hmm. Alex may be MotoGP bound in a year or two as well. Um and they've not exactly seen eye to eye in the past, going back to 2013 when um, you know, Mark Marquez had a much publicised disqualification in Phillip Island and there was a big fallout within the team. Alberto Pooch was within that team at the point um, as he was the manager of Danny Pedrosa. Um, and perhaps the greatest success that Livio Supo had in his time as Repsol Honda manager is that he created an environment that enabled Mark Marquez to perform at his best. He essentially built the team around him. Um, Mm -hmm. perhaps the greatest fear now for Upsal Honda is that this may lead to a bit of a power struggle within that team because you can imagine Emilio Alzamora seeing Livio Supo step aside and thinking hang on there's an opportunity now to make this the Alzamora team it's now the Pooch team it's now the Pooch team yeah, that, that 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 couldn't have been ideal. Um, I, I mean, that yeah, Briggs in there, and he's not he's not gone along with that Marquez camp, which is the fundamental base of that team. 
And you know he's going to be out of contract at the end of the season. So are they all going to play happy families down there? I wonder. That's going to be one of the most intriguing situations to keep an eye on because that there could absolutely be a political power struggle down there. That that probably won't be ideal to say the least. So uh, yeah, definitely you want to keep an eye on because there's a lot of egos in that team and there's a lot of there's a lot of bad blood. Um, in that team so goodness knows um, how, how that could possibly turn out yeah I'll just read you a small excerpt from uh, an article by David Emmett and I would thoroughly encourage you all to read it um, it's available in several places including asphalt and rubber.com and his own Moto Matters uh, website um, as I say I'd encourage you all to read it but I'll paraphrase a bit of it um, he describes Pooch as a no-nonsense character who can be abrasive and he already has a problematic relationship with the two riders in the Repsol Honda team Though he was Danny Pedrosa's manager for a long time, he spent last season criticising the Spaniard in his role as an expert commentator for Movie Star TV. He criticised Pedrosa's approach and attitude and may have a few fences to mend on that side of the garage. But his relationship with Mark Marquez's side of the garage is even more troubled. Pooch has long regarded Marquez's personal manager Emilio Altamora as a rival. And having the two in the same garage when Pooch still managed Danny Pedrosa was a major challenge for HRC. Both Pooch and Altamora were more concerned with preventing the other side of the garage from seeing their respective riders' data than cooperating towards a common goal. Uh, and tensions, as I mentioned, came to a head in the Australian Grand Prix of 2013 when Marcus was disqualified for not making a compulsory pit stop. That failure was an indirect result of the lack of communication within the Repsol Honda team, with Altamora wanting to keep Pooch away from Marquez, and Altamora also distrusting Livio Supo and then-chief mechanic Christian Gabarini, all of whom he regarded as holdovers from the Casey Stoney era and forced on them by Honda and Supo. And a battle that Altamora won, and of course Stoner's crew were then forced out to make way for Marquez's crew, um, as I mentioned earlier on, that team, essentially by Supo, has been built around Mark Marquez. Um, mm -hmm. With all that in mind, um, I mean, there have been rumours in recent times of, of course, KTN being prepared to write a blank check for Mark Marquez um, to get him out of that team. And you, you can't help but wonder, when you think of all of the water that's passed under that bridge, if Repsol Honda start this season poorly, you could see tears within that team, can't you? Oh yeah, I, I, I can I can see punch ups. I can see handbags at ten paces. I can see mushroom shaped clouds coming out of the back of that Super garage. Super is not going to pull any punches if it goes wrong. No, and yeah, there's there's personalities in there, and if Marquez is not performing in that team early on, they're going to know about it, and we'll know about it quickly because Marquez's strongest rounds are at the start of the year. He always goes well in America. He always goes well in Argentina. Um, you know, if, if his bike is competitive, he'll be fast in Qatar as well because he's one round there before as well. So we'll know quickly about the, the, the shape of that Honda and how, and how it's playing out. So, oh boy, um, it, it, it could very easily go wrong. Um, very easily. And, and as so, I mentioned, the, the, the silly season tour, which dominates this year, um, this mm. perhaps may be the most fascinating angle of it all because, of course, uh, when Alberto Pooch has to negotiate Mark Marquez's future contract with HRC beyond 2018, he'll be negotiating with Emilio Alsamora. Uh, now, <laughs> you, you can see that going well, can't you? Um, as those two negotiate um, over a contract for Mark Marquez. And of course, as we mentioned, there has been a bit of friction between Pooch and Pedrosa um, over the course of 2017. Um, so. Perhaps if Danny Pedrosa doesn't start 20, 2018 very well, his position may come under more and more threat. And we know, because he said as much in recent months, that one rider in particular, Dre, that Pooch is a very, very big fan of, is Andrea De Vizioso. Just a force. Yeah. Apparently he wants yeah. 7 million a year next year. Yeah. 
I think Honda, I think Honda can make that happen. And you know, Dovi's been there before. After all, he knows what the deal is in that Honda, in that Honda team, and he's a fair bit better than he was back then. Let's say that much. Mm. Yeah, watch this space. That is a team that will be well worth following off the track mm-hmm. as well as on it um, in 2018. We'll uh, talk more about that as the year goes on. Um, and of course, they'll be testing uh, in a week and a half time. So we'll uh, we'll focus on that when that happens. Uh, one other story to bring you in for terms of MotoGP, and we have one Moto2 story to bring you as well before we switch paddocks to World Superbikes. Um, this news that broke today, uh, uh, well, whether we can call it news, Dre, is a moot point, but certainly an article that surfaced on motorsport.com um, of the suggestion that MotoGP may be considering um, in the future a city-based race. Um, something that Formula One is certainly um, seen as vogue in recent years with the races in places like Baku, um, obviously Valencia, that's going back 10 years, but of course that was a city-based race. Um, Sochi, another one, a race that's very much based in an urban environment rather than a purpose-built racetrack, um, a traditional purpose-built racetrack, the likes of which you'd see at Silverstone, for instance. Um, does mm. this one have any legs? I mean, I, I can't for the life of me see how this is workable. This is video game bullshit, and it needs to go away right now. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm not keen on this at all. Um, like, I, I, I find it amazing that Macau had a fatality with a bike just this time, like a couple of months ago in Macau, and yet they're still talking about having a street race. I, 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 I no, just no, no, thank you. Um, I am not here for that. I, I haven't. There is no appeal to me for, for that to happen whatsoever. Um, the MotoGP season is fantastic. You've already got its biggest ever calendar coming up next year at 19 races. Um, why are we talking about street circuits? Like, don't fix what isn't broken yeah. here, fellas. Like, you, you made a habit of going around last year, tying all these circuits down to new contracts, and now you want to potentially give them the heave-ho because you want to race in Finland, you want to race here, there, and everywhere. And now you want to have a street race, like two, like where? Exactly. Like where would you yeah, even I mean, start? The, the, the with two, that? I've seen two suggestions. One of which was uh, perhaps somewhere in the United Arab Emirates, perhaps somewhere in in Dubai or somewhere like that. Um, but I mean, my my big my big comment that I've always made with regards to any street race in any form of motorsport is, as much as that is a a challenge for drivers or riders in this case, for me, street races are always about the visual spectacle. Take Singapore, for instance. Um, take Baku with um, some of the architecture around there and some of the interesting um, challenges that that presents, such as driving around the castle midway around the lap and that sort of stuff. Um, it, it's all about what a, a, a great visual spectacle it is. Um, now, if you're going to have a motorcycle race and yet still incorporate all that visual interest of you know the buildings and the particular city that you're having it at, that instantly means there's going to be a certain lack of space for a motorcycle race to take place in. Um, and, and for that reason, I just don't see how it's workable um, in, in any way, shape, or form. The other, the other suggested round was perhaps Dorna were understood to be in talks with Hosting Ground in Mexico, um, which, which, again, I just don't see how that's workable. I mean, even if seeing motorcycle races through that, uh, that stadium, that baseball stadium at the end of the lap, would be spectacular, but... The, the rest sure. of the lap just doesn't have anywhere near enough room. If anyone crashes through that middle sector, those S's midway through the lap, they're going to hit something. Um, and, yeah. and I just don't see in any way how that one could be achieved. So um, we're personally throwing that potential theory in the bin. Um, but whether Dorna do is another matter. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see um, on that one. 
Uh, one piece of news, finally, it's a piece of news to bring you from the MotoGP paddock, and it comes from Moto2. We referenced it earlier on, um, but Kiefer have confirmed their plans for the 2018 season. Um, the team, which, of course, had a turbulent 2017 with a race victory stripped from them due to technical irregularities, and, of course, their team boss passed away uh, on the eve of the Malaysian Grand Prix, Stefan Kiefer. Um, they will race on into 2018, um, but having been named on the entry list to say two-rider program with Dominic Egerte and Sandro Cortese, um, they have since announced that they are going to be a one-ride outfit. They will, though, be running KTMs, um, but their sponsorship budget and the budget they've been able to collect for 2018 only allows them one rider, and that one rider is Dominic Egerter. Um Now, I think, Dre, this is a team that I think we'd all like to see do well um, in 2018, right. given what they've been through. And given that they have Dominic Egerter on board and a KTM to work with, there's every reason to suggest that they will do quite well. They should do. Egerton's always been a very good rider. I mean, the bike very nearly won around. Um, you know, they had a round taken away off them for their own stupidity. You could argue with Misano and their oil situation, but they have the the they have the rider who a Grand Prix winner in Dominique Agata, a good rider who's won GPs before. And you know, one bike you can get all your resources onto that one bike, and that is a good baseline rider to work with. And if they get the setup right, I don't think there's any reason why Kiefer can't do well. And, and again, we'll see how well the KTM fares after a bit more development against the Calyxes. That might be the shot in the arm that the Calyxes need to come back and maybe run house like, like they did a, a couple of years ago when they were winning everything. And the field was pretty much all Calyxes. Suits were almost dead in the water as a result. So. Maybe it will change afterwards, but um, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But it's it's like it's a team that's had that even with one bike still has the capability to do to do well. They should they could easily get Agata in the top ten, and it wouldn't surprise no, me. Not at all. We'll uh, we'll follow that team with interest. The um, Moto Two Moto Three teams will also have a bit of preseason testing for the new season starts, but that will not be until well into February. Of course, MotoGP starts their testing for the new season in a week and a half from now. Uh, motor two and three still a little bit more time to go yet but we will cover all of that um, as we head through february still a bit more news to bring you uh, before we go on this week's edition of bike live we will be heading into the world superbike and british superbike paddocks after this short break You're back with us on Bike Live. Let's shift our focus then to World Superbike Matters and indeed matters throughout that paddock and throughout its classes. And news that Michael Ruben Rinaldi um, will be joining the World Superbike grid at the European Rounds of 2018. Um, if that name sounds familiar, it's because Rinaldi is the current Stock 1000 champion and he clinched that title at Jerez last year, um, beating uh, Toprak Razgatioglu. And, um, you know, that, that's a rider who's... Rated rather highly by people such as Jonathan Ray in that World Superbike paddock. So to beat him to a title is no mean feat. Rinaldi will be on the grid with the Aruba Ducati team. He'll be on a third Aruba Ducati Panigale, essentially, as part of the junior team at the European rounds of 2018. Um, which immediately, to me, Dre, smacks of one thing. It smacks of, we're going to give this guy a bit of an audition to see if he's got exactly what it takes. And if he does... 
we might be uh, fast-tracking him into Marco Melandri's spot in a year's time. Yep, absolutely. That's the impression that I was getting from this as well. It seems like a tester to me. It seems like a bit of a, a test run to see to see how he's going to fare um, uh, against the rest of the field. I mean, because he's a talented rider, you know, a proven winner. And yeah, this is a little step up to the big boy leagues for him to see how he fares. So yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how that one turns yep. out because um, yeah, it feels like a tester to me. Ronaldo will debut uh, in World Superbikes for, for the Ruben Ducati Junior team at Aragon, which will be round three of the season um, towards the end of March, beginning of April. Um, one other piece of news to bring you um, from World Super Sport, and it concerns Anthony West, who um, we've seen in the last year, last couple of years, um, as a bit of a rider for hire. He's almost taken the on Cameo's role in that respect, um, as the rider that's been searching, A, for a bit of money, and also for uh, any team to employ him over the course of the last couple of years. Well, he's now found that. He has found a full-time ride for 2018, Dre. I mean, this is a good news story, isn't it? A rider who is a, is a proven quantity. He's a known commodity. We know just how good Anthony West can be. Um, I mean, he was on the podium in Philip Island in World Supersport last year. Um, so as much as we're just delighted, I think, just to see this guy on the grid full-time, he's a guy that I think could be a bit of a dark horse in World Supersport. Yeah, make it rain up in here. <laughs> Anthony West is back. Um, yeah, I'm here for it. Um, as said, he's a fantastic rider. Anthony West, he's still great. He's in the up. He's, he's in his mid thirties now, but he's still he's still a quality rider. He's, he's still you know he's capable of, of winning at almost any level. He was fantastic in that last six Super Sport race. Um, in Qatar, where he was as fast as Keenan chasing down the leading group. So the speed has never really left him. He was one of the fastest dudes out there, and that was his, the last time we saw him on a motorcycle. Um, so, yeah, he's absolutely right up there. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very excited to see how he gets on. Um, yeah, a, a great opportunity and a feel good story because Anthony is one of the real good guys in the paddock, and he's had to, you know, scratch and claw whatever chances he can get to be able to ride. He's had he's opened up GoFundMe pages to try and get, you know, temporary backing for seats and whatnot, and you know he's he's managed to, to scratch and claw his way around, but now he's got a full time seat. So well done to yeah, him. Yeah, he is. He'll be riding for the EAB Racing Team in 2018 in World Super Sport. And uh, I forget, he had two podiums last year, because it was easy to forget, amongst that amazing final battle between uh, Caracasulo and Cluzel at Jerez. Anthony West finished third in that race and got on the podium um, as stand-in for Keenan Safoglu, um, which has helped him uh, earn this ride, by all accounts, because he's going to be riding for EAB Racing, but he is being assisted in this by Pochetti Racing, um, who know a thing or two about World Super Sport, it's fair to say, um, do Pochetti. So, um, yeah, he's uh, got a bit of support from them as well, and he'll be riding a Kawasaki ZX6R, which is about as good a machine as you can find in super sport circles. So, uh, yeah, he'll be a rider to keep an eye on Anthony West in 2018, uh, very much a dark horse, as I mentioned, in World Super Sport uh, this year. He will be joined on the grid, um, certainly for the European rounds at least, by Alfonso Coppola, um, who famously finished as the very uh, upset and tearful runner-up of the inaugural World Supersport 300 Championship um, in 2017. He lost out to Mark Garcia. Um, now, this was kind of already confirmed that the winner of the, quote, Blue Crew Challenge, the battle of the Yamaha-supported, um, officially the Yamaha-supported riders, um, would earn themselves a Yamaha ride in the World Supersport 600 class for 2018 on the European calendar. That has now been confirmed with Coppola. He'll be riding for uh, the European rounds as part of the European Supersport Cup. Um, the, as I say, the class that sees certain riders appear for just the European rounds. Coppola, Coppola mm -hmm. will be one of those. And he'll be riding for the GRT 
Yamaha Junior Team, which essentially means he'll be a teammate of Lucas Mahias, the defending champion, um, and Federico Caracasulo. So Coppola, who's a rider that I think we were both kind of fond of in 2017, Dre, with the way he rode in Supersport 300. And there are very few better teams that you can join for your debut Supersport 600 campaign. So there's every reason to suggest Coppola would do quite well. Yeah, he's, he's walking. You know, that's a hell of an opportunity. The Yamaha, you know, the the new the new R6 has been a great bike so far. You've got the reigning champion alongside you, and Caracasulo, who again won races in his own right last year. So it's a stacked team, and Coppola's going to be jumped in. He's going to be thrown in at the deep end in superb fashion. So yeah, the guy's a great talent. He's a he's a great rider. I, I like the the riders now on him. Six hundred is going to be a different league, but uh, again, it's exciting to see how that one turns out. Well, Super Sport three hundred will also see a bit of an overhaul for next year because, as we've mentioned on previous shows, but we'll remind you in case you've forgotten it, the champion Mark Garcia, um, the inaugural World Super Sport three hundred champion, he is moving into the CEV Moto three Junior World Championship um, for twenty eighteen. Mm. So um, he'll be racing over there, predominantly in Spain, um, and. The uh, Halkuria Yamaha team have moved to fill his vacancy. Um, Danny Valle, his teammate for most of 2017, is staying at that team. And he will be partnered by Maria Herrera, um, who has shown what she's capable of on many occasions in Moto3. Um, but she's another of those riders, much like Anthony West in many respects, who just struggled to find the budget to stay around um, through 2017. Um, and we've already seen, Dre, what Anna Carrasco can do in World 2 Spot 300. She won a race. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we're both agreed that just, maybe not clearly, but just Maria Herrera is a better rider than Anna Carrasco. Um, joining the team that won the title last year, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Maria Herrera does in Super Spot 300. I think it's a good move. I agree. I think that Maria Herrera is, I think, the premier um, female motorcycle racer out there. I think she's a little bit better than Anna Carrasco. And I think her... Grand Prix track record was a little bit better than Carrasco's overall. So, yeah, I would, I absolutely would love to see um, how Maria Herrera stacks up in that field. If if Carrasco can win a Grand Prix and you know can you know make headlines that way, I think Herrera can do the same. It's going to be, I think, again, it's an exciting opportunity. So, yeah, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. And she's still only 21, Maria Herrera. She is still yeah. very, Gosh. very young. So, um, well, we're far from seeing the best of Herrera as well. So, let's hope with a a stable team um, at the Halkuria squad, um, a, a confirmed right for the entire season. Let's see how she gets on. And um, I misnamed her teammate. It's Borja Sanchez who will be her teammate, not Valle. Because, of course, Halkuria ran three bikes for most of this year. Um, so uh, it will be Sanchez alongside Herrera within that World Superspot 300 team. Um, that class will be running at all at the European World Superbike rounds um, in 2017. And a class I think we're all looking forward to watching, given how it improved leaps and bounds throughout its inaugural 2017 um, campaign. Um, two more pieces of news to bring you, and these come from the British Superbike Paddock, um, because their grid is taking shape for 2018 as well. Um, and one rider who spent most of his career in World Supersport will be joining BSB for next season. Gino Rea um, will be joining the British Superbike field uh, for this season, riding for the splendidly named OMG Racing Team. Um, for 2018. Um, so um, keep your jokes to yourself as soon as one of those blows up. Um, in, in a Grand Prix, uh, in, in a BSB race this season. They'll be running Suzuki's as well um, for 2018. Um, but this is a rider who perhaps might not be necessarily the household name that you think he would be in British um, circles because he spent most of his time running in the MotoGP or World Superbike paddocks in the lower classes. Um, 
And it amazed me, thinking back to last year in World Super Sport, a class that we enjoyed so much, how poorly Dre Gino Ria did. Um, so in mm. many ways, this is a rider that needs a bit of a reset. Definitely, and this might be um, a shocking, shall you, shall you say, return to maybe get get one foot back in the door and maybe just just reestablish yourself, really. Because yeah, as you say, that is a that's a strange one to me. That is a um, it's strange how Gino never really fit his full potential in that class, and uh, he's a talented rider. He's always had the ability. It's just it just didn't work out for him this time round. So. You know, maybe maybe this is a better spot for him. Yeah, he was 17th in the championship in, mm. in World Super Sport last year. Um, best finish of 6th, um, which came at Mizano, was famously one of the two Brits disqualified in Thailand uh, back at the start of last year. <laughs> um, we forget it, given that Carl Smith was also disqualified and went on a trail of destruction after he'd been disqualified in that race. Um, but Gino Ria was disqualified earlier in that race for pretty much the same reason. Um, so um, it just didn't go his way last season in Supersport. He will be in British Superbikes this season. And, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure. I'm still, I think I'm still on the fence how I think he'll go because we've seen already the likes of Davide Giuliano, who's perhaps thought that having done well in the world stage, he'd be able to drop into BSB and do quite well, and it didn't quite work out for him. Um, so, um, mm. yeah, whether whether Gino Ria is able to uh, adapt, I think he's probably more likely than Giuliano, let's face it, to adapt. But I don't think it's going to be easy for him at all. Um, and um, although it did finally win a race come the end of last year, that Suzuki is still, to a certain extent, unproven in the uh, in the British Superbike Championship as well. Um, so we'll see how he gets on. One other team, though, and this is perhaps one of the most exciting and most interesting teams for 2018, um, that was confirmed in the last couple of weeks. Um, because we've been wondering, um, ever since he announced that he'd be leaving the Amalhaya Tag Yamaha team, um, where Josh Brooks would be going for the 2018 British Superbike Championship. And um, as we found out, Dre, he won't be going very far. He's swapping, he's swapping, he's swapping uh, with James Ellison. He's going to McCams. And that was like, after, after um, you know, Ellison himself was confirmed at, at the Anvil tag team, I was like, I wonder where he could end up. <laughs> A guy who likes Yamaha Orwell, R1s and has been a key vocal point of their development as a bike. I wonder where he could end up. Oh, right. There's an open seat at McCams. He's totally going there, isn't he? This was like this was like the Stephanie McMahon Triple H of bike stories. We all knew where this was going to end. But yeah, it finally got announced about a month overdue that, yes, Ellison, will, uh, Ellison and... Um, uh, Brooks will essentially be swapping teams, and yeah, uh, McCams for Brooks again. If if McCams get their resources together, there's no reason why Brooks can't contend for the title. We saw him last year basically be three points away, which nobody talks about last yeah. year. In fact, the Brooks very nearly stole that title from right under Haslam and Shaky's noses, um, and Brooks could have easily had two titles in three years. And yeah, that would have been a, a, a ending to the story that nobody would have even seen coming. Mm. Um, even less than the Shaky comeback, I'd argue. So yeah, it's a fantastic move for McCams to get Brooks, who is you know arguably a, a, a half a shade above Ellison now at this point in time, and a guy who knows that bike better than anyone on the planet does from a racing standpoint. So. Yeah, look, look again, again. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting one. You've got an immediate contender in Brooks, but the riding talent has never been the problem at McCams recently. It's been the bike itself, and hopefully they can find a way to put it to good use. Yeah, that's very true because James Ellison was um, he wasn't backward in coming forward when speaking about the uh, standard of that team. Well, certainly his teammate Michael Laverty when he left that team was uh, scathing about the uh, the standard of McCams Yamaha. So uh, 
yeah, it's it's, it's going to be fascinating that because as we've spoke before the show started, you would never really say that in either of the Yamaha teams last year that the riders were the problem. Um, so the fact Indeed. that they swapped teams, you kind of wonder really what's going to change there. Uh, I guess both riders kind of thinking the same thing, thinking, well, clearly this team's not good enough for me, so I'm going to try my hand at the other one um, and, and see if that works out better for me. Um, so Ellison will be at, my, at the Anvil Hire team. Brooks will be at McCams, where he will be partnered by Taron McKenzie, um, who has history with this team. He, he won the British Supersport Championship with this team when it was under the guise of Team Traction Control um, back in 2016, and he was 6 for 6 uh, in the British Supersport Championship at the start of last year before we moved to Moto2. Um, and, Dre, I hesitate to use the term out of his depth to describe Taron McKenzie in Moto2 because that was the very different definition of being dropped in at the deep end. Um, in, in that right. team. Danny Kent leaves the team because he decides that the grass is greener somewhere else um, and uh, fell out with his team spectacularly. Tara McKenzie was parachuted in there out of British Super Sport, so he had no experience of the Grand Prix paddock or the circuits or Moto2 bikes. Um, so I'm not really sure how much we could have expected from him um, last year. He struggled. He was last in just about every race that he competed in. Um, he did score a point, though, incidentally, uh, at Mizano. Now, He's returning to a team that he's dominated the British Supersport Championship in and was about to dominate another before he left for Moto2. Um, and had he not gone to Moto2 midway through last year, this would have probably been seen as the natural progression for him into British Superbikes with this team. Um, so with Tara McKenzie, a rider who's shown in British Supersport how talented he undoubtedly is, should we almost be looking at him in terms of his British Supersport history and almost discount what happened to him in Moto2? Probably. Um, I think this was the natural step that he had, he had to make and was going to have to make to make this work. So I think BSB and the senior class was always going to be the end game here, at least for now. And he's getting that now. So, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing how he turns out there. I mean, it's going to be a very interesting because, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's enough young talent in that field as it is. And the likes of Mossy and Bradley Ray and Winfield, who had great results there last year. Um, I'd love to see where he fits in in that, but it's an exciting challenge for him, and he's going to have a very good teammate in Josh Brooks as well. So, well, again, it's, it's going to be a great yardstick for Taron, and we're going to see how it turns out. Yeah, he's a rider that a lot of people in that paddock have spoken very highly of. So, um, let's see how, what kind of talent um, he has on a superbike in 2018. Because, um, of course, he hasn't really ridden on a bike as, as big as that before. He's ridden on a 600, but not on a 1,000. So good luck to Tyron McKenzie next season. Just to give you the full rundown of how the British Superbike grid looks at the moment, um, Ducati, Beweiser, Ducati running Irwin and Byrne as their unchanged lineup. Byrne, of course, the reigning champion. Honda unchanged with Linfoot and O'Halloran. Tyco BMW are running Michael Laverty now alongside Christian Iden. Um, the Anvil Hire Tag Yamaha team retain Sean Winfield and bring in James Ellison. JG Speedfit Kawasaki, Luke Mossy and Leon Haslam, that's another unchanged team. The Smiths Racing BMW squad will keep Peter Hickman and join alongside him with the Frenchman Sylvain Barrier. Uh, the RAF Regular and Reserve Kawasaki team retains Jake Dixon, as you would. Um, Bill Bay Suzuki are running Bradley Ray and the uh, Stock 1000 champion Richard Cooper. Um, or the Stock 1000 championship contender from last year, Richard Cooper. The champion of that class is also moving up. Danny Buchan at FS3 Kawasaki. Um, CF Motorsport, <laughs> a new team into the class with the Yamaha. They'll be running Kyle Ride, um, who, like Gino Ria, is moving from World Supersport into British Superbikes. Gino Ria, as we told you, is on an OMG racing Suzuki next year. And completing the lineup, McCam's Yamaha with Brooks and Taron McKenzie. Yet again, a stacked British Superbike grid lineup. 
um, for 2018. And there may well be more names added to that yet before we arrive at the opening round of the season um, in, uh, on Easter weekend um, towards the end of March, beginning of April at Donington Park. Easter Monday, the April the 2nd, will be the opening race day of British Superbikes this season. And we'll, of course, look ahead to that in much more detail when we get nearer uh, Easter weekend. Uh, before we go, though, let's look ahead to what we'll have to talk about on our next edition of Bike Live, episode 45, um, in a couple of weeks, because MotoGP is going to be going testing between now and then um, with the opening uh, official test of 2018 at Sepang. Um, now, there's always, as always, Dre, there's only so much we can really take from testing, perhaps even less we can take from motorcycle racing testing than from Formula 1, um, because there's much less parameters that can be played with. Um, but in terms of this test, and in terms of who needs to get the most out of it, and who will perhaps be looking at closely more than anyone else, is the team perhaps with the microscope burning closely on them, Movistar Yamaha? I'd say so. I'd definitely say so on that one. Very nearly left my mic on there. Yeah, that was a that was a small pause. I remembered. I'm not doing this <laughs> again. Uh, but um, yeah, I think that's going to be the one team where a lot of eyes are going to be are going to be stared at on this one. Um, Yamaha basically left their team as a dumpster fire towards the end of last year, being beaten by Alex Rins, Maverick all over the place in terms of form. Valentino looking looking basically in the middle of nowhere. Um, so it, their team's not in a good state. As I mentioned, Lynn Jarvis is probably going to have the hottest seat as a, as a GM out there right now. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to make this work. So, yeah, we're going to be very curious to see what, what their form is like, given given Honda's improvement, um, given that Ducati are already thinking championship now. They're thinking, they're thinking big here now, and rightly so. Um, so where they're going to fit in is going to be very interesting. Mm, yeah, it is. And I, I just hope for their sake they have found a direction for their new bike because it's well documented that by the end of the Valencia test in November, they had absolutely no idea what direction really they were going in. They were running 2016, 2017 and 2018 parts uh, at various stages of that test. Um, so they, as according to Valentino Rossi at the end of that test, they think they found a direction to go in for their new bike, which is more... Um, down the 2016 route, which just tell, which tells right. you how wrong they got their 17 bike, doesn't it? Um, but but exactly. um, it's going to be so key on that opening day of three um, of that Sepang test, um, of four actually of that Sepang test of of when that bike turns wheel on the racetrack, and particularly when it gets towards the end of a stint and whether it starts wearing its tires out, is that bike a step forward? Because you almost fear you almost fear that Yamaha are in danger of writing off a season if they get it wrong early on it will essentially be telling them that they went in the wrong direction entirely um, on their new bike. And, and you right. kind of fear for them if that happens. So they're going to be the team that will be watching so closely to see if they have made genuine progress with that team because um, Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi will be nervously anticipating how that bike handles on its first outing um, around a circuit that we know from the past eats up tyres, um, given how hot, mm -hmm. hot it is around Sepang. So um, it's a key test for that team. Um, in terms of other teams that we'll be watching closely, I suppose, Suzuki will be one to, to watch, interestingly, given that they now have the concessions uh, lifted again on them. They'll be able to they, you know, they'll, they'll be able to do a lot more with their bike, and I wonder whether they'll see that as an opportunity to be more aggressive um, in 2018 than they were in 17 when they had those restrictions on them, having had such a successful 2016. And also, perhaps the team that made the most success or the most progress over the course of 2017... Just how much more progress, Dre, will KTM have made over the winter? 
Yeah, exactly. They're going to keep pouring it on right now because they they were they were the fastest developing team I've ever seen last year. They were so quick to get up the field. They were running through engines like crazy, but they were doing it because they were keep they were making gains on an, almost almost on a on a weekly basis to how how fast they were doing it. So again, like with another few months underneath them, goodness knows what's going to happen. It's going to be it's going to be crazy to see how that keeps yeah, up. We will focus on all of that, and we will bring you all the, the full story from that Sepang test and much more as well on episode 45 of Bike Life in a couple of weeks' time. So um, beginning of February, um, we will have the uh, the next edition of Bike Life, episode 45, the full lowdown on the Sepang test, as well as much more. Between now and then, though, episode 119 of Motorsport 101 will be coming next week. I believe I've got the number right there, Dre. Um, episode 119 um, next week. Um, we had a big problem this week in terms of determining what we were going to talk about on uh, episode 44 of Bike Live. Um, I'm guessing you might have a very, very similar problem again next week. No, no. To be fair, we had a Formula E race just last weekend in Marrakesh. It wasn't. It wasn't particularly exciting till the end, but we, we we did have a Formula E race. You know, Felix Rosenquist, our man driver for hire, did pull off a W. So um, yeah, that, Felix Rosenquist. Driver for hire has stepped up. <laughs> driver for hire has graduated here, people. I'm here for this. I'm here for all of this. So yeah, episode 119. We'll, we'll inevitably talk about Formula E in Marrakesh. There's a bunch of news we haven't we haven't caught up with yet either. Um, more in more in IndyCar as, as the grid feel, fills out over there. There's a lot of stories of Danica Patrick coming around as well, given that. She's fighting for that, that Daytona double and the fact that GoDaddy is now back to sponsor her. There'll, there'll never be a fight. If, if Zoe is on that show, there will be blood. Yeah. Uh, she's not a fan of Danica, to say the least, um, on that one. Me neither, to be honest. But um, that'll, that'll be a discussion in its own right. The possibilities of maybe IndyCar may have just found its third engine manufacturer because Alfa Romeo were considering coming back as well. So... There is a fair amount of news on on the table there as well. We will find we will find a way to get through this one. I, I promise. Um, so, so yeah, episode one nineteen. Check it out. King's begging his favourite guest to come on the show as well. So, you know, so there, might, there might be some different voices on next week's show as well. So stick around for that on social media as time goes yeah, on. Yeah, and regular <laughs> listeners to these shows will um, not need three guesses to uh, work out who that is. Um, but mm-hmm. we will we will see next week episode one one nine of Motorsport one hundred one. Um, check that out towards the end of next week, most likely Friday. Um, I'm saying that because I'm the person who's going to have to edit it, so hopefully it'll be up by Friday. We shall see. Um, But that's all to come next week, and as I mentioned, episode 45 of Bike Live in a couple of weeks' time um, as we break down the Sepang test and much more. My thanks to Andre Harrison for joining me this week um, for this edition of Bike Live. Thanks to all of you for listening as well. Before we go, though, you can still get in touch with us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101, um, something that Mirko Bortolotti has done um, in the last couple of hey. weeks. Um, hope you're listening. Um, he probably isn't. Um, you can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. You can still catch Dre's, uh, Dre brief surrounding Sagai Sorokin and the Williams situation uh, right now. Uh, our website is motorsport101.net, and if you want to back us financially, you also have early access um, to Motorsport 101 and Bike Live um, each week patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101 for that as I mentioned my thanks to Dre and my thanks to all of you for listening for joining us on this edition of Bike Live we will see you once again in a fortnight until then it's bye bye